Good morning. Let me draw your attention to something that we've been talking about for a couple weeks and underline it so you can take advantage of it. This whole month we are focusing on, as a church, growing, glad, and generous hearts. We want to hear your stories. How is your heart growing more glad and more generous? How has the ministry of our church blessed you in a way that's made your heart glad? How have you experienced joy by being generous? Or when have you been the recipient of someone's generosity? We want to hear those stories, and we're sharing those stories, and that's beginning now. You can find them on our website. We'll be posting them to social media. But we hope that you'll share them with us. We want to be able to post them, and I'd like to be able to to share them with you. Let, let me just ask then, you think talking about gladness and joy and generosity is a good topic for our world today? Oh, I think that, I think it's a great topic for the world today. Our world could use a little more gladness. Our world could use a little more generosity. And, and if we could say anything about the church, it is this, that, that, God, has, that God has called the church to be a unique and beautiful community in the world that is unlike any other community. And that one of the signs of His presence and Spirit in us is a joyfulness and a gladness in a generous spirit in the way that we live and, and we meet needs. And one of the things that you see over and over again today and then and now is that wherever... God's people show up with generous hearts and show up with glad spirits. People are added to his body and to the church. In fact, that's what it says in the text we're going to be reading here in a minute. A beautiful description of the church. It says that the disciples met together in one another's homes with glad and generous hearts. And they enjoyed the goodwill of the people. And people were added to their number daily, those who were being saved. So let me begin with one story. Last night, I had an opportunity to go to the Elks Lodge. You ever been to the Elks Lodge? Not me, it's it a first for me. Never been, never been to the Elks Lodge. And it was a fundraiser for one of the great ministries that was born in our church. A few, few years ago, uh, several women from our church went to Lynch, Kentucky uh, to do some mission work. And they were profoundly impacted by their experience of sharing life with some of the poorest of the poor living in the state of Kentucky. After that experience, they said to one another, we don't have to go to Lynch, Kentucky to do ministry and to share love with people in need. There are people in our city who have needs and who need help and love and goodness and food. But they said to one another, we don't know any poor people in Louisville. So someone directed them to go downtown to find one of the local bridge, the bridge, a local overpass, to go under. They would find people there who were hungry. So they made sandwiches and they carried sandwiches and fed the hungry. And over a three or four year period, this has grown into an incredible ministry called God's Girls. Now God's Girls, a uh, couple dozen women or more, meet every Wednesday 
They prepare a meal and they feed the homeless and bring love and joy and goodness. And last night we gathered together to celebrate their ministry, to hear stories, and to raise funds to support this ministry. And it's amazing that it's, it's not just now people from our church, it's people from all over the community that have been attracted to this work. And there was, at the Elks Lodge, there was a lot of joy and a lot of gladness last night. And there was a lot of generosity. The touching moment for me was one of the men uh, named Perry stood up and told his story. Perry had been pretty successful in business, but through a series of bad mistakes and decisions, ended up homeless and bewildered and confused. Perry then started going to the shelter where God's girls gave them lunch. And he said, he really, basically, the story boiled down to the fact that it wasn't just that they warmed his stomach with food, but they warmed his heart with love and goodness. He said, they treated us like people, they respected us, they put their arm around us, and they loved us and made it believe it was possible that our lives could be better. And now Perry has a whole new life because of the gladness in the generosity of God's girls. It, it reminds me a little bit of what I told these parents that had their children dedicated today. We had six families up here this morning with six children, and I met with them last week as they prepared to take their vows of Christian parenting to talk to them about what it meant. And I told them, if you raise your children in the church, I can't guarantee you that when they graduate from high school and go off to college or their career or whatever they do, that they will remember always what they were taught, what they were taught. They won't remember the what, but they will most likely remember the who. Because the church is about relationships. I can't remember a single sermon taught by my pastor in my home church. But I remember him. And I remember my Sunday school teacher. And my son, I know, and we taught the Bible to my son. He grew up in this church. He made his confession of faith. He learned the Bible. He, he got all great teachings while he was here. But the what is not as important as who the who was. Sherry White, one of our elders in our church, was his mentor in the discipling program. And forever he will associate his faith with a living person who embodied the love of Jesus to him with a glad and generous heart. You see, when you look at the early church, they had this powerful community. They had a message, but it was more than just a what, it was a who. It's the way they lived together. Listen to this powerful description of their life together. It says that thousands were baptized, and after they were baptized in verse 42, chapter 2, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. As a result of what they devoted themselves to, it says that awe and wonder came upon everyone. Because wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. They were healing the sick. They were meeting with the lonely. They were reaching out to the widow. They were bringing food and warmth and looking people in the eye and treating them as human beings and embracing the rejected. And then it goes on and says, 
that they all who believed were together and held all things in common. There was a deep sense of community. So much so that they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. It was a group of people where needs were met in the community and outside the community. And day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of the people. You see, when, when people gather together and there's a growing gladness and generosity about the people, they attract, it's warm, it attracts people to the church. And a consequence is that day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Not made church members, not put on the property committee, not joining the choir, not just attending, not just membership, but their lives were altered. Now, when you read the book of Acts, it's, it's, a, it's a remarkable story. It's rather implausible because when you read the story, you hear verse after verse Every time the disciples got up and preached, people responded to their message and people were drawn to their community. And it says the church grew with an infectious, explosive growth. Now this is remarkable and implausible when you consider that they had none of the things that we consider essential for being a church. They were woefully under-resourced. They had no buildings. They had no pews to sit on. They had no steeples. They had no websites. They had no blogs. They had no podcasts. They had no coffee shops in the lobby or bookstores or satellite churches or celebrity preachers. In fact, it becomes even more incredible when you consider the fact that they were led and led by a group of leaders who were untrained, unschooled, uneducated in some sense were unprepared and were oftentimes the last ones to understand the message of Jesus and failed Jesus at epic moments. And then when you add into the fact that these early Christians were heavily persecuted, often misunderstood, and oftentimes were killed for their faith, it's rather remarkable, given their resources and circumstances, that anybody wanted to be a part of their church. Why? The reason is the world at the time was a very shaky and unsettled place, a troubled place. And people were looking for hope. And when they looked at the church, they saw something unique and different. For at the heart of the church, there was a red, hot, passionate center in them that was expressed in a few ways. And you look at this text and you look at Acts, you see these five characteristics. They had a passionate spirituality. They didn't just show up to worship as an obligation. When they sang, they, it came from the bottom of their hearts and their souls. Their association with one another defied common logic. They came from different backgrounds and came together and formed deep relationships. Their generosity was outrageous. 
They had a missionary zeal. They, they knew Jesus. They knew that Jesus was the Son of God, and they fervently believed it. And it was their passion not just to grow their number, but to change the eternal destinies of the people that they met and knew by bringing Christ to them. They wanted to add to their number those who were being saved. And people could feel it. And they were irrationally glad. You ever know somebody was irrationally happy, irrational, irrationally glad? So you look at that woman and you say, I see who she's married to, but her happiness makes no sense to me. <laughs> it's just irrational. You know what I mean? Do you just know some people and you think, if I'd been through what they've been through, I'd be mad at God and mad at the world. But they've got a gladness about them that's just kind of irrational. Either some people who just understand what Paul said when Paul said in Philippians 4, 7, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your petitions and requests be made known to God. And when you do, a peace, a gladness, a joyfulness will fill your being in a way that transcends your circumstances or what's possible. That's what they had. And because of it, people were attracted to it. Let me ask you, is your spirituality passionate? Is your commitment to Christian community significant? Is your generosity outrageous or is it safe and predictable? Do you pray for others that they would know Jesus? Are you... You are rationally glad. Do you have something inside of you that you want to share with others that comes from knowing God, that produces a fire in your... What is the temperature of your soul this morning? My first point then. God's purpose for the church is eternal and unchanging. And when you look at the book of Acts, the same thing that produces a fire in my heart and your heart is the same thing that's always been true. Our purposes are often temporary and temperamental and fleeting and sporadic. But what the scripture teaches is that when we dedicate ourselves and devote ourselves to the things that are important to God, to what he says in the text, to coming together, breaking bread together, to prayer, to fellowship, to generosity, to our spirituality, it produces something in us. It's a commitment to something, an ongoing commitment to something that produces the fire, not just an instant momentary thing, but an ongoing thing. The second point I would make to you is this, that where does it start? It starts with the heart. I can stand up here and urge you and plead you to give yourself more fully to the Lord. I can stand up here and tell you my story and attempt to persuade you and convince you. I can stand up here and try to whip you up into an enthusiastic moment of joy and gladness. But if it doesn't penetrate your heart, it won't last any longer than it takes for you to leave the building. 
for real fundamental change to occur, we have to push off the mask and the facade and push aside the hardness of heart and our familiarity with Christian faith and allow it to penetrate us to the deepest place. Oh, I was reading this week in, in Acts earlier that when Peter preached, it says that people were cut to the heart. And I wondered to myself, does the message cut my heart? Have I become over-familiar with it? Have I heard it so many times that it no longer reaches me to the place I live? Have I given myself fully to Him? And it made me realize that if, if it's not cutting my heart, I can't expect it to cut anybody's heart. And I asked myself, does my preaching impact people that way? And I realized it's something that God has to do in you. It says here in this text, it says that Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost. Thousands were there to listen. And this fisherman turned preacher, this fearful disciple become bold proclaimer, stood up and preached a message about Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. That his way is the way, meaning his way of life of loving and being a peacemaker and being a person of justice, committed to doing good. Preached Jesus crucified and raised from the dead and living inside of us and called them to him and said, the one that you crucified is the Lord and the Messiah and that death couldn't hold him. And it says that when he preached it, some people walked away angry, but some people were cut to the heart and said, what shall we do? And Peter looked at them and gave the message that's been true, as true and eternal. He says, turn from your sin and turn toward God. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, this is for you, this promise is for you and for your children. And he said, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Is that not true today as it ever was? I, don't, I believe the world's a good place, but there's a lot of animosity and a lot of hatred and a lot of division and fear and greed in our world. So many things in our world that will corrupt your heart and take you down the wrong path, cause you to serve other gods that will rip you and strip you and leave you empty and broken. And he says, save yourself. I think that one of the biggest mistakes that we make is that we pitch the invitation too small. We need to make it bigger. It's not just an invitation to be a part of the church the way we invite someone to join the YMCA or the Cross Country Club or the Fitness Club or the Bridge Group. It's a life-changing, altering thing that we want to be a part of the community that God has put on this earth to, to bring His redemption to the world in spite of all the odds, to be a people of irrational gladness. I want that. Next thing I would say then, that a continual devotion to the things that matter. And what I mean by the things that matter. Look at the, the story. Generosity and community and teaching of the apostles, a relationship with Jesus, that when we give our attention to those core things, you could call them the pillars of the church, 
that those things bring awe to God. That people look, when, when we commit ourselves to those things, they know they stop looking at us and they see the God that's recreating us and reforming us and renewing us. And it brings glory to God. One more thing. What has your continual devotion will do more to shape your life than what you believe. You can say, I believe in God or I believe in this. But if you don't have a devotion to what you believe or to the activities that will grow the belief, it's just a belief that will take you nowhere. If, if I can look at your life at the end of your life and look at the kind of person that you become, I can tell what you've been devoted to. I have buried and done funerals for hundreds of people. And I do a study of their life before I give their eulogies. To quote Corey, I look at their resume. And you can look at what they say they believe, but what they were devoted to is who they became. It's like the gym I go to. The gym I go to, there's a picture on the wall of a man eating a big piece of cake. It looks like he just got off a treadmill. And it says, it says that you can't out-exercise a bad diet. What that means is, if you make a steady diet of uh, beer cheese and soft pretzels, uh, Jamie, my, my pretzel buddy, if you make a steady diet of, of pretzels and beer cheese, it doesn't matter how many miles you run. It doesn't matter how many crunches you do if you're chomping down on chocolate chip crunch ice cream from Baskin Robbins. You know, if you devote your diet, devote yourself to your diet and to your exercise regimen, you're going to see discernible results in your life. So who do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to become? You'll become who, what you devote yourself to. And I would tell you, I would say to you that being devoted to your spirituality, being devoted to Christian community, being devoted to generosity, being devoted to sharing Christ with others, being devoted to knowing God in a way that produces an irrational glad, being devoted to those things will produce in you a person that will bring joy to your life, glory to God, hope to the world. Why, is this, and why does this matter? Why does it matter? Because every time someone says, I believe, and devotes their life to Christ, the world gets brighter and brighter. And why does this matter? It matters because if it's not happening in us, we can't expect it to happen to anyone. Did this message cut you to the heart? How is your heart? Jesus is the Son of God. He came to this earth to show us what life is like and meant to be. He preached a message of inclusion and welcome and love and forgiveness to all people. Race, 
life status, none of that meant anything to him. He looked at everybody and saw them as a child of the living God and preached a message that said, Blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the merciful, and blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when you walk my narrow road. And the disciples called him the Son of the living God, the Christ. He was crucified and raised from the dead by the God of heavens and earth. And for now, those who receive him and who are baptized in his name, he fills with his presence and his spirit and turns us into a glad and generous people.